Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me today... Sean Baker. And today's topic is a double feature of the 1997 documentary Little Dieter Needs to Fly in the 2006 film Rescue Dawn. So this is the first time we've really done a double feature on this show, but I feel that both of these... And many for many reasons can't be told without the other. Yes. Both are directed by Werner Herzog. And for those who don't know, the documentary and the film tell the story of U.S. Navy pilot Dieter Dengler. He was a Navy pilot during the Vietnam War. He was shot down over Laos and he was taken into a POW camp. And there, along with six other prisoners, they led a, an escape attempt. And of those six, he and another prisoner who was not because he was mixed not just with soldiers, other airmen, but mm-hmm. Thai civilians. One of them was Pashidi Indradat. Indradat. And he escaped, but they split up. But eventually, um, Dangler success- successfully escaped. He made contact and he was able to reunite. Yeah, and you, we were talking about this because, you know, um, the Stockdale Center is currently doing, a, I believe, a film about uh, some airmen who were stuck at the Hanoi Hilton. Yes. And when you talk, we first talked about this, because he was not at the Hanoi Hilton, he was at Laos, that's a different area. Yes. You're talking about how different the experiences of the prisoners at the Hanoi Hilton and those who were stuck in Laos were. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, um, uh, just, it's, I'm learning so much of the history of uh, the POW experience in Southeast Asia, reading, reading, reading these accounts and, and seeing something like this movie as well. Uh, there's two standard references in the uh, literature that actually do cover the broader picture. Um, uh, the, mo- the most, I would say, famous uh, set of prisoners are those men that were in the Hanoi prison system including the Hanoi Hilton. There were various other ones as well in and around Hanoi, and some actually farther away. There was one on the Chinese border. Um, and their story is very well known, and, of course, the Stockdale Center's, uh, the center's namesake was uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, leaders um, uh, throughout a, a, a long um, captivity in that system. And you're correct. Most of those men were airmen. Uh, most of them uh, were officers as well. Um, but while uh, they were in captivity, and in many cases before they were in captivity, um, in the earlier stages of American involvement in uh, Southeast Asia, um, there were men captured in Laos and Cambodia. And uh, the reason being, even in the earliest stages of uh, the conflict, um, the North Vietnamese were making use of Laos and Cambodia for the uh, infamous uh, Ho Chi Minh Trail, which was essentially allowing them to move men and materiel from North Vietnam into South Vietnam, um, all the while denying that they were doing this. And this uh, 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 story is one of several that... uh, uh, demonstrate quite plainly that we were aware of their doing this. They were essentially occupying these parts of those countries, heavily, heavily jungled parts of those countries, um, which Laos and Cambodia uh, 
could not realistically uh, control. So they couldn't control their borders. So it became occupied territory, essentially, by the North Vietnamese in cooperation with the local communist forces in those two countries. Um, in Laos, it would be the Pathet Lao. So um, uh, it's, it's interesting. The story is interesting because it, it, it helps tell part of the tale of the earlier part of that conflict. Um, some of these uh, uh, Thai civilians that you mentioned and ex-military men that um, Dingler was uh, 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 with in this, in this uh, uh, Laotian prison camp had been there had been captured in uh, in 63 and 64 working for uh, an operation called Air America. And Air America was actually uh, one of the largest, I don't, it's quite, not quite the right way to put it, but commercial <laughs> airlines uh, or air services in the area at the time. And it was, it was uh, uh, operated by the U.S. government primarily for logistics and humanitarian purposes, as well as counter-insurgency counter purposes uh, during the earlier stages of the war. Because um, Kennedy, when he inherited uh, the Southeast Asian problem from um, Eisenhower, was told by Eisenhower that the key, the key uh, uh, domino in that area was, in fact, Laos. So early on, a lot of that effort went into Laos. So that's why those um, other men were in that camp and had been there since 1963, some of them. And uh, what's not told in the film is that uh, that group, uh, uh, a couple of people in it that we'll talk about later here, uh, that are characters in the film, um, uh, Eugene De Bruin and Mr. Inderdot actually... Uh, had attempted several escapes before this escape. So it, it's a great, I, I find this to be a, a kind of a great vehicle for telling that lesser known um, aspect of the POW experience in Southeast Asia. And that you brought it up, we might as well talk about it in the, not in the documentary, but in the movie, it faced a lot of controversy because you just mentioned the name, the man, Gene De Bruin. Yes. And in the movie, he is definitely not portrayed 100% positively. He even threatens to um, tell the um, people who run the camp of the escape plan getting Ding D Dingler primarily in danger. He was clashing with Dingler. And he also, when the escape attempt happens, he doesn't do what he was supposed to do. And when... Dangler confronts him. He is almost indifferent to everything. He is he's portrayed as very indifferent as to the escape attempt going on. Yes, and that even Gene De Bruin um, believes they after the escape attempt, nobody knows exactly what happened to him. But from what everyone says, that he this is exactly the opposite of how he was in real life. He was yes. very active in helping other people in the camp. Actually, he went back in the camp, or not after the escape attempt, but to help somebody who was who fell behind, who was wounded. Also for the people, for the Thai people who were in that prison camp, he helped teach them English. He was actually the one to help orchestrate the escape attempt. In the movie, it's shown they didn't really have any hope to escape until Dengler showed up. They were already in the process of doing that when Dengler showed up into the camp. Yes. So 
Yeah, and I will agree. And he was, Werner Herzog, the director of both this documentary and the movie, was confronted about this. And he later admitted that he did make a mistake. And I feel, I feel he definitely did him a disservice. While he does good respect to Dengler, you don't need to take somebody down to put somebody up. Yeah, and he, he, he doesn't really, from what I've, correct me if I'm wrong, I have not seen any detailed explanation of why he left that part of the story out. Um, I'm certainly, I'm certain Dingler would have been very well aware of uh, what what De Bruin had done earlier. Yes, and um, for those who don't know, um, Dingler died before this film was made, so he did not have any input into how, making of this film. He yes. was in the documentary; he was still alive, but yeah. in the he, film, he had no out input. So yeah. the, there's uh, nothing about what he had comments about De Bruin. I couldn't quite find anything, but. I'm almost 100% sure he, if he was alive and saw this, he would have also called out. I agree with that. Yeah. And yeah, the, the feature length film here was released in 2006. Yes. Documentary was 1997. And uh, it was about three years later that Dingler was uh, uh, actually committed suicide. If he did it for dramatic purposes, uh, that, that raises all kinds of ethical red flags. Uh, about how he he treated uh, De Bruyne, and it, it flies kind of in the face of what you would expect anyway, because of the of the six that did escape. Actually, it was seven in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of the six that did escape, De Bruyne and Dingler were uh, the two um, um, that were active duty military when when they were captured. And we know certainly in the case of Dingler, and more than likely in the case of De Bruin, they both went through Seer School, uh, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Um, it's standard for airmen to go through that school uh, through that school before they deploy. And one of the one of the lessons they uh, impart in Seer School is um, uh, uh, admonition to try to escape whenever possible. And you can see in the backstory of this film that is not included in it, uh, this uh, uh, glaring lack that you point out with regard to um, Herzog's uh, script. Um, De Bruyne lived up to that. He tried to escape, I think, at least twice before this escape. And you have to keep in mind, too, he was in, in captivity uh, since 1963, in his case, uh, we know for sure he tried to escape once in 64 and was recaptured. So uh, it, it does raise that, that uh, uh, very troubling question with regard to Herzog's intentions. And um, to their credit, the surviving family of De Bruyne uh, piped right up. And, and, yeah. and go ahead and talk. And about not that. only his family, but the other survivor who I believe might still be alive today. But the, we mentioned earlier, Pashidi Inradadot. He was alive, and he called out the movie for the same the same faults. Yes, and it it beggars belief that uh, um, Dingler uh, didn't wasn't informed when he arrived at this camp uh, of the history of every single person that was being held with him. Um, so, yeah, this is a, a troubling reflection on Herzog's character, I think. Um, and, you know, he may, he may try to explain it. Well, I've got to create some kind of a conflict within the camp for purposes of drama. 
Um, perhaps, but as you say, denigrating the character of one of these men in order to do that is at the very least questionable. Yes, and then with Herzog, I this is why I, we, I think you and I both appreciate the documentary for because I think in that one, because it's in the documentary, it doesn't really talk about the other six, it was just mainly about Dingler. And what I think what's really interesting about the documentary is Dengler retraces his steps almost literally. He goes back to the jungle, and they even have locals recreate, yes. you know, when he's being captured and the places where he was tortured and the devices he was used, the brace thing he had to put on. It's because Herzog, because these are the only films you, I think you've seen from Werner Herzog, he's this very, almost like a Tarantino or a Hitchcock, where he is this very larger-than-life director. He's very, par- you know, he's, he's got all these people parody his impressions. And what I thought I did like about his documentary, because if you see his documentaries, he's almost always the main character yeah. in those documentaries. He's narrating it, he's telling everybody what's going on. But in this documentary, he removes himself almost as much as possible. He's not seen on camera. He has a few voiceover narrations, but Dingler does it more. So yeah. in one half, and like in the documentary, he does justice. He shows respect for Dingler. But yeah. in the movie, while he still shows respect for Dingler, he could say he puts down Gene De Bruin. And there's story, I mean, almost every you know, movie based on a true story, there's always a controversy as far as how things were depicted. Green Book got a lot of flack for depiction of the friendship between them. Um, there are others, but that's the more recent one. Yeah. But, well, yeah, it's kind of hard to get everything perfect, and I can understand taking narrative liberties to make a more compelling, interesting film. You just, you, you, doing that to Gene DeBruin, I do think is unforgivable. And yes. Just, even though I'm still a Herzog fan, I, that's a sort of a, that's unforgivable. Yeah, I, I, I thoroughly agree with that. And it's also, I think, Deeply disquieting that he chose to uh, uh, film uh, Rescue Dawn only after Dieter Dingler died. And that just leads me to the conclusion that he wanted to wait until Dieter Dingler died so that he could take this dramatic license and not be called on the carpet for it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I... Well, he's he's a busy filmmaker, so maybe it was just something about scheduling. I don't really know why he chose until after Dangler passed away to make the movie. Maybe he always wanted to make it, but it was the funding. I'm not. I can't really say about that. But yeah, it's just he really screwed up on this one. And, yeah. And they even I think even the survivor said we tried to reach out to him before this movie was made to, for input, and he didn't get back to us. So yeah, and you know he probably reached out to them initially, saying, "Hey guys, I'm making a film about you." And it, it, it again, beggars belief that he was not informed of the true nature of every one of these men in this camp. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is troubling. I mean, it's a, a good lesson in... Um, and how to properly portray yes. stories and doing justice to people and not portraying somebody as horrible, you know, more you know, worse or bad or negatively which when it was the exact yeah. opposite and it's not as if there wasn't enough material there in the yeah. it's, a, it's, an, it's a prison escape movie yeah. boom you got the story right <laughs> yes. there i mean and you, and it's it's right it's you can literally write the screenplay yourself right yeah. there, and, you know? and you've you've got an an incredible uh story of endurance under savagery 
Um, he left a lot out in the feature release film that was mentioned, and I like this about the documentary too, uh, about the full nature of the torture and mistreatment that these guys uh, endured for years. It is utterly remarkable that anybody made it out of that alive. Even the men in the Hualo prison system, uh, uh, Hanoi prison system, uh, said, you know, when they when they discovered what these guys that were in these jungle prisons in South Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia, what they endured, they said we had it relatively easy, and that's saying something. Yeah, and that's another thing I think about, which I do. I think do we both enjoy the movie overall? Even? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. And I do enjoy the movie overall, but one of the things also is that this is a PG-13 movie. And when you talk about, in the movie, he talks about the horrible conditions. And while they don't necessarily, I would say, shy away from it. I mean, there's the scenes at the night when they're handcuffed together in a certain way where if somebody has to move, they all have to move. Yes. And the fact that there is no bathroom. So yes. They, and they have dysentery, so they have to, they soil themselves constantly because... Yep. So it's not, I wouldn't say shying away from it, but it does feel a little bit like it's sanitizing a little bit, like it's PG-13. And I, once again, I don't know exactly why. I mean, this is 2006. This isn't like, say, the 50s where you have to be more sanitary. You could have gone for an R rating if you wanted to. So when you're trying to portray something as horrible as this, I don't know exactly why he it feels like it's a little bit sanitized for it's pg-13 that i don't know why he did that yeah it may be just simply a, a question of um, uh, providing himself a larger audience with that rating than he would with an r rating that might with, be it but I, I, I from what i know of him and his films he doesn't shy away from uh r-rated type material am i right about that he's made a handful of r-rated movies um it's not he's not like a tarantino as far as violence but yeah his films are also very independent i don't remember him ever making a big budget blockbuster the only big budget thing i think he's ever done was the most he's stars most recently the mandalorian series but that's that's completely different thing but yeah yeah it's this was an independent film it wasn't made for a large budget which you can kind of tell with some of this visual effects in the movie but it didn't make a lot of money at the box office either. So, but one of the interesting things, because this is Werner Herzog, um, I think he think he said reason why he chose Dangler is because Dangler is a German immigrant, and they're roughly the same age. Herzog's a few years younger, but one of the thing is they both grew up during World War II. Yes, and one of the things Dangler talked about when he was a child and he lived. Uh, village near the Black Forest area in Germany, they were bombed by American forces. And he said for a brief second, he saw a fighter plane whiz by. And just for a split second, he could actually see the pilot in the cockpit because the pilot had the window down. Yeah. And that's sort of what inspired him to become a pilot. And he immigrated to America. And yeah. Worked. That's a great, when he tells that story, it's just great. And he even gives the title of the film as he's telling that yeah. story. From that moment on, little Dinkler had, little Dieter yeah. had to fly. It's a great story. Um, and his backstory also gives a, a um, great um, um, explanation for how he was able to endure um, the um, uh, uh, captivity and escape uh, in Laos. Um, because as a kid, um, he and his family were forced to eat uh, scavenge for whatever kind of yeah, food they the could get. The things he talked about was they would cook 
posters. Yeah. yeah because the glue on the posters would have nutrients that you could were right. edible. And people were eating uh, uh, dead animal, animals that they would find on the streets and so forth. So he got used to be, having to do that, and he he ended up having to do that in the jungles after escape. And even during captivities, there's this riveting story he tells about uh, uh, being uh, in one of those jungle cages in one of those villages and uh, they're starving to death essentially and they have to uh, spear rats capture a snake that it itself had captured a rat uh, they spear it and bring it back up take the rat out and and uh, eat it um, they had to do things like that just to survive and he was able to bring himself to eat these things because of his previous experience yeah, and what, one of the things I do give the credit for the film for, Christian Bale and all the other actors that were in the movie, they committed themselves to losing a lot of weight and to making themselves look like somebody who was in captivity. And Christian Bale being the method actor that he is, there's that scene when they're given food and it's like this vegetable mix, but it's just filled with maggots. Yes. He's actually eating. Those are maggots. They aren't like, you yeah. know, chocolate cup. He's, and he's, he's eating. He's actually that. eating. And, it. Like, yes. and I like that. I appreciate that dedication as to like, we're not like in that scene, we're not, you know, sugarcoating this. I'm going to yeah. give just the tiniest fraction of a reflection of what he had to go through. Oh, yeah. And uh, ditto on the scene when he's finally rescued. He is in the process of skinning and eating a snake. And uh, that, uh, to, to Herzog's credit, actually was the case in, in the real-life story. And one of the few moments of levity in that portion of the film is when he is uh, brought up into the helicopter after rescue. Um, in real life, uh, this is interesting, that helicopter, that rescue crew was not sure if he was not a, a Viet Cong posing as a... Uh, uh, an American in order to bring down that uh, helicopter after all they were being fired on by Viet Cong as they were rescuing him. So this big guy in the helicopter says, well, you know, I better be safe here. I better pin this guy down and we need to kind of search him, make sure he doesn't have a grenade on him or something like that. So he pins him down and, 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 uh, pulls out this half a dead snake and he goes, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and in real life, the guy Nearly fell dead. out yeah. of the helicopter. They had to grab him. Yeah. But that was great. Yeah. That was great. And again, uh, to give Herzog credit, I mean, we, I've been kind of bashing him, but um, uh, he, he was looking for authenticity there and he did a good job with that. And he did a good job also just showing the, the horrible set of disappointments that he had leading up to that particular rescue. You know, there were planes, Air America planes, uh, that would fly the area regularly looking for Pathet Lao or Viet Cong or uh, rescues, as a matter of fact. And he was missed several times. And uh, he and does. Every time those planes would fly by, they would uh, have to be subject to abuse from their. Uh, guards at the camp because he, they thought that they were trying to signal him in some way. Yes, exactly right. So he captures all that. He captures yeah, he's because I watched the documentary first because I had seen the movie before, but I watched the documentary when I'm rewatching. I watched it first, then I watched the movie, and I noticed how when the 
parts Dangler tells in that documentary, he's faithful to that part. So yes. as far as telling Dangler's story and his escape attempts, what he went through, I thought Herzog did do a good job as far as portraying that on the film. Yeah, and you know, part of the explanation might, there might be uh, loyalty to fellow German. <laughs> it may be the case. Because like I said, they did grow up, because Herzog also grew up around that same time in a post-war Germany. And yeah. he said, like, we both, you know, that's why I found somewhat of a comradeship between him. Yeah, and me. yeah, very good point. So we've been talking a lot about Gene de Bruin and how the film doesn't do justice to it. One of the things that, because since we're bringing that up, I want to bring up some stuff about the Dangler story and maybe about uh, Gene de Bruin as far as literature people can read if they want to get a little bit more um, yeah. accuracy. Uh, the, there was a book, another book about Dangler, which I believe came out in 2010, was called Hero Found. Mm-hmm. And I think there's another one, a book, it's more about the Laos POW experience. It was called The Bamboo Cage. Yes. And doing some research about de Bruin, they, um, there's a book by an uh, author named Christopher Robbins. It was called, I think, Air America. Yes. And that's about the, him and the other people who went through that during the yeah. Vietnam War. There's actually a very interesting website uh, uh, set up by Air America veterans, uh, as it were, that I would highly recommend people look at, too. You can Google that. Um, literally, literally Google Air America veterans, and uh, it's one of the first things that come up. Um, very interesting service that was. It was actually started by Claire Cheneau, um of the Flying Tiger fame um, just after the close of the war um, for purposes of aiding the U.S. government and its um, operations in, in Asia. And uh, like it, it, it aided in the Korean War. It aided, obviously, in the Vietnam War. And there's a... a very uh, famous picture of the um, evacuation of the embassy in Saigon at the end of the war, uh, the uh, Vietnamese, the Civil War portion of that war, uh, after we had pulled out and uh, Congress refused funding to uh, allow us to help the South Vietnamese to hold off the North Vietnamese. They were in no shape to do it. So uh, the North Vietnamese overran uh, South Vietnam and Saigon in particular. And there's this very uh, tragic photo of uh, one of these Air America helicopters evacuating American and some Vietnamese personnel off the top of that building. That was an Air America vehicle. Okay. So getting close to the end of my questions here, is there anything else you want to bring up before we uh, sign off. One thing I do want to bring up is, like you just briefly mentioned, that Dengler did unfortunately commit suicide back in 2001. Brings the thing I've, and this isn't just Rescue Dawn, but a lot of movies about veterans, I feel after the war, they ignore the struggles they went through. Just recently, a, a film I think is very good was Heart, Hacksaw Ridge. Yes. About Desmond Doss, who won the Medal of Honor for his med- as a medic in Okinawa. The movie ends after Okinawa. He's been wounded in battle. The battle's over. We've won, but it doesn't focus. But if you read about Doss, is that he went? He had. He was. He those wounds did not heal. He had was had disability problems throughout most of his life. In fact, his wife had to work many like three jo- like three shifts at a time just to cover their medical payments. And in this movie, like we said, just because he made this escape and 
he didn't get recaptured doesn't mean Dangler's yes. struggles were over. He's even says in the documentary he still suffers PTSD. You can even see during some of the scenes when they're recreating that, you can see just he gets a little bit uncomfortable. Yes. And so I was, and this isn't just this movie in particular, but I feel a lot of these movies which show yes. veterans with their experiences, they do it during the war, but they always feel that after the war they ignore it almost feels like well he's okay now and yeah. i was just i don't know why they do that because that's not the case uh, yeah and to uh, herzog's credit he, he spends a, a good deal of time in the documentary uh allowing dieter dingler to tell us about the ptsd he suffered and we see hints of it even before he actually talks about it at the very beginning food hoarding uh in his house in california uh a very common uh, experience uh, with POWs. Um, also, something I found uh, charming, but also common with POWs, was his, uh, you could say, fixation on open doors. And he, he goes through his house, right? And he opens it, closes it, opens it several times. He's got artwork of doors He's all around his house. All open doors. And uh, it, it brings to mind a, uh, a famous quote from a, a POW that was in the Hanoi Hilton who said, every day is a good day when you have an open door. And that's very well captured, I think, in the documentary, not so much in the feature-length feature film. Um, and I, I'd bring up another film that um, has a similar fault, I think, is the film Unbroken about Louis Zamperini. The book, half of the book, deals with this severe PTSD he had coming back home. The film, like you said about uh, um, this film, it cuts off after his release, basically. Um, another film company actually made a film that focuses more on the material in the second half of that book. Um, not as well known, but it's there. Uh, but it is curious. Big Hollywood uh, seems to want to avoid this, and and I think uh, you were asking me if, if there's any other any other things you want to discuss. This is front and center something that needs to be discussed. Um, there is a stewardship responsibility this society has toward its veterans, and especially guys that went through that kind of trauma. Um, that I believe. Uh, uh, the armed forces uh, and the VA in particular do a great deal of work toward um, um, satisfying. Uh, but the greater society is not aware of it. it in, in a lot of cases, people are just simply not aware of it. And that's even more the case, I think, now in uh, the last two conflicts we had, Iraq and Afghanistan, a smaller and smaller percentage of our population is actually fighting these wars. And the rest of us are uh, insulated from it, ensconced in a very well-to-do society. And, and uh, it's, it's maybe not even by choice individually, but the, the popular culture, our popular culture just seems to want to uh, occupy itself with other things. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. 
This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can also listen to their other podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds. For each episode, I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying so long, and be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies.